Hey, Fred, you like getting free stuff, right? Oh, especially free bike stuff. Every cyclist loves getting free stuff. And the good news is, just in time for the holidays, our friends at Be Cool have a contest going right now where you can enter to win a free Be Cool smart trainer. And best of all, everyone who enters gets three months free of Be Cool Simulator, their cool online training system that syncs with your smart trainer and lets you ride hundreds of different routes. Get fit this winter, don't get cold riding outside in the snow. Just go to becool.com slash partners slash velonews. You ready for that, Fred? One more time. Becool.com slash partners slash velonews. We'll throw that link in the description for this podcast. On with the show. Okay. Uh, welcome to a very special emergency episode of the Velonews Podcast. I am Fred Dreyer, joined by Spencer Pollison. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Andrew Hood. But it's a special podcast because bomb dropped on the world of cycling this week. Chris Froome, four-time Tour de France champion, news circulated that he had recorded an adverse analytical finding. Yes. For- it's a mouthful. It's a puffful. For salbutamol, the asthma medication, stemming from stage 18 of this year's Vuelta España, which Chris Froome won. If you are any type of cycling fan, by now you have heard of this story. You've probably read something on the internet about this story, because hands down, this is the biggest story in pro cycling of the year, of the last two years, of the last five years. I don't know. This is this is big. This is a big one. Sound the alarm. That's right, Fred. And... You know, we live in this world where we expect transparency, where we're always a little skeptical of of performances by cyclists who just completely dominate the competition. And, you know, this unfortunately makes us feel like we've had the wool pulled over our eyes the last four or five years of Tour de France racing. That's a pretty hot take. I mean, we're going to get to our takes here. I say before we get to that, before we get to Hood, let's just go through what we know right now. We're recording this on Friday morning. The news broke Wednesday. And what we do know is that Chris Froome, uh, a man who has suffered from asthma since he is a kid and has admitted to taking this salbutamol inhaler to combat his asthma, recorded this adverse analytical, stage 18 of the Welta, and he had twice the legal limit of salbutamol uh, show up in a urine test. Driving this, 50 and a 25. Yeah, this was, this was a pee test, not a blood test. And that's important because it is an excretion of uh, the salbutamol rather than in ingestion. We don't actually know how much he ingested. We All we know is how much was excreted for this test. That, mm. is, that is very important. Lovely, excretion. Um, there is a precedent in pro cycling around salbutamol because in the last few years, we have had two very public cases in which athletes have tested for over the limit of salbutamol um, and been banned. That was Diego Ulissi and Alessandro Petaki. Now, this is not a cut and dry doping case at this point. First of all, this is medication that's widely used through the Peloton. You don't currently need a TUE to use it. And it's not like something that you test positive for or don't test positive for. There's a threshold. And so Chris Froome, his sample has served a concentration of 2,000 nanograms per milliliter. The threshold is 1,000 nanograms per milliliter. Um, and that's what triggered the test. So right now, again, Chris Froome has not 
you know, Christopher does not have a positive drug test right now. He has something called an adverse analytical, um, which just means that the doping authorities need to take uh, a further look at it. And Chris Froome, now I do believe, has the, the burden of proof is on him to try and try and recreate this in a test to show that his body is capable of producing this same result. And it's got to be in a lab too, which is kind of interesting. You got to wonder how you'd approach that as in Froome's position, whether you'd try and get super duper dehydrated before yep. going to pee in a cup or I don't really know. It's a, uh, you know, his, one of his arguments or one of the arguments is that, uh, dehydration leads to a more concentrated, uh, excretion. <laughs> and so maybe that's part of it, but he can't go back to this stage 18 of the Vuelta and do the whole ride and then, and then try and, uh, you know, recreate this, this test. Exactly. It has to be done in a lab and it, I don't know. I mean, if anyone can do it, team sky can do it because of course that team known for their scientific acumen. So what was going on stage 18 of the Welta? You know, Chris Froome was in the lead at that point. I believe the stage before was the Los Machuco stage where he had lost some time to Vincenzo Nibali. Uh, stage 18, Froome attacked with Contador and was able to put some more time into Nibali. But throughout this time period, uh, reporters who were at the race did say that Froome looked sick in press conferences and his public meetings. He was coughing. He was sniffling. Um, he appeared to visibly be under the weather, which makes sense. I mean, the guy was three quarters of the way through his second Grand Tour of the year, which he was winning. Uh, you know, that's putting an amazing tax on the body, a physical exertion. So it makes sense that he would have a cold. Um, I can only speak from my own experience. You know, I'm an asthmatic. I've had exercise-induced asthma my whole life. And yeah, when I get sick, the asthma does show up. It, you know, I have to take a salbutamol inhaler. Are you admitting, are you admitting to something that might've happened on a lunch ride earlier this yeah, year? Yeah, that's Fred? right. I mean, I can't believe Just it's taken so long for limit. this to come to light. Uh, just... but, but it's common. I mean, asthma and salbutamol is extremely common. And so we can talk on this later when we get to the takes about what this actually means. Should we get to the takes? Should we unveil the takes? Of course. All right. Well, we, we have to. All right. Let's get, before we get to hoodie, let's get some takes around this news because it's very early in the process. We've definitely been inspired by some uh, some pretty strong opinions coming from um, from the UK, actually, which yep. is, it's interesting. As, as we all know, British cycling fans have long rallied behind Team Sky. You know, I was there on the Champs-Élysées when Bradley Wiggins won the first Tour de France for that country, and it was insane. It was practically all British people there. They were, they were just going crazy, going mad. The lads were going mad. It was uh, just... Really, really strong patriotism. This this team is synonymous with Great Britain. But now we're seeing some of these British media outlets starting to question Sky's methods and starting to be a little less uh, less of a less supportive of their home team. Yeah, I mean, I think I have real questions about whether you know the the impact that this is going to have on British cycling in general, not as a singular incident, but as the latest incident in 15 months of sort of bad press around Great Britain um, that started with uh, Lizzie Armistead, you know, revealing that she had missed three tests. Then, of course, there was the Fancy Bears hack, which revealed the news about Bradley Wiggins and his TUEs in the lead up to the 2012 tour. Then we had Jiffy Bag. Then we had the UK investigation. Um, all of these stories sort of lingered and then bam, this is the big one, the adverse analytical that comes at the end of it. Great Britain has seen huge surges in cycling since 2012. I believe they're up to 120,000 um, license holders for 
uh, the the national governing body there. Yeah, it dwarfs USA Cycling's membership base, yep. and it's impressive since Great Britain has such a smaller population to draw from relative yep. to the United States. So there, I think there's a real question here about what impact that could have on uh, British cycling fans in general. I have a take. So I have I have some people in my lives who are sort of card carrying Froome haters. Ooh. Chris Froome, he's a polarizing guy in the Peloton, polarizing guy amongst um, cycling fans out there, and they do have this sort of sentiment of like, ah, ding dong, the witch is dead. You know, this is Chris <laughs> Froome's downfall. I can now sort of use this to hate on Chris Froome or hold it up as an explanation for why he's so good. I'm here to say, slow your roll. Mm. Really slow your roll. In my mind, there is a huge difference between a positive doping test for EPO or some type of revelation about blood doping or HGH or whatever, and this, which this is exceeding the threshold for medication. Uh, I think if you're a cycling fan and at this point, Friday, two days after the news has broken, you want to use this as some type of explanation that Chris Froome's performances in like the 2013 Tour de France or whatever um, are now null and void. I think you have to step back from that nuclear take. I think you got to douse the the flames of your take at that point. That's my take. I see your point, Fred. And at face value, an elevated level of salbutamol, not necessarily a performance enhancer. We'll, we'll get into that with Hoodie in a sec. But the thing is, for me, when there's smoke, there's fire to, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, but in a lot of these doping cases we've seen over the years, it's been something kind of innocuous like this. And and uh, it's not a total smoking gun. It's not like he walks out of the sky bus with a needle still in his arm. Whoops, you know, it's not, it's not that type of situation. But you have to wonder if this is indicative of something bigger that's happening behind the scenes. And it's one little slip up that maybe is the beginning of the crack that um, will shatter the sky wall. Now, the one take I have is that to me, this looks like, it's going to be, ah, it might be pretty unlikely that Froome will get that fifth Tour de France win in his career. I know, I know, I know it's very premature to kind of say that sort of thing. But if you think about it, the UCI has a new president right now, David Lapartienne. He's French. He's very vocal about fighting, cheating in sport, all kinds of cheating, motor cheating, doping, all this stuff. He's got this 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 old school vibe of like working behind the scenes and that's how he won the election we we kind of all were a little surprised when it happened and it makes me wonder if he's got some got some ins he's got some connections and if he'll flex that muscle to really prosecute this case against Chris Froome and you got to think he's going to want to hand Froome some sort of punishment for this test, whether it's a, I don't know. I mean, the ban isn't going to be that long relative to something like a hardcore doping product, EPO, steroid, that sort of thing, but he could be banned. And so getting back to my take, it means that Froome could be racing the Giro under a cloud of suspicion. He could be banned by the time the 2018 Tour de France rolls around. And then, you know, when the time comes, if he does get back to the sport, I mean, what's, who's to say Tom Dumoulin won't have figured out the tour by that point and be the next impervious Grand Tour champion? Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with that take. It's more of a prediction. There, there could definitely be a scenario that plays out that way. I mean, that's the, and that's the underlying thing with this whole story is that you know we're two and a half days in, but based off of what we've seen with high-profile doping cases involving riders at Froome's level, but then also salbutamol cases in the case of Pataki and Ulysses, these things don't finish quickly. You mm -hmm. know, these things get dragged out. There's a huge legal procession and um, it, 
there's a chance that this could be this could go unresolved for weeks and months. I do want to revisit something though, which is this topic of um, black and white guilt versus nefarious activity. So right now, in the black and white of it. Yes, Chris Froome has, re- has, has recorded something that is black. He has an infraction. You know, he has twice the legal limit. Per the rules of cycling right now, that is a violation. He has violated something. Like, undeniably, we, we, we cannot say he hasn't. Now, it's up to him to try and prove that this violation was due to something else. Um, as far as the nefarious side, though, I mean, the fact that Froome was sick, that he isn't asthmatic, that he uses this puffer again and again and again, it is strange to think about because Chris Froome seems to be the most type A cyclist on the most type A team uh, within a sport known for putting out type A people. So you do wonder how a mistake like this could be made. It's a shocker. Like, how but could, you know? I could, I, I don't know. Maybe this is me being a rube, but I could envision a scenario where it's just like, you're sick, you want to win, you psychologically say, well, if two puffs on the inhaler is good, then maybe 10 puffs is that much better. Um, and you just go to town with it. Again, this could just be me being um, somewhat believing in it. But either way, there has been an infraction. And now the and long in, And in that case, it would process. still stand as an yep, infraction. For so, sure. that, so that's the thing is like... It, it'll be tough. The, the burden of proof is, I think, I think it's, I think it's pretty high, actually. Yeah, me too. Well, there's a lot going on with this story right now, and we're really just at the tip of the iceberg. Um, let's bring on Andy Hood because he has spoken with a number of interesting people surrounding the story, doping doctors, and a lawyer to uh, get some more insight. Let's bring on Andy. Okay, Velo News Podcast, Fred Dreyer here with Spencer Paulison. Uh, Spencer, we have our European correspondent on the phone, Andrew Hood. Andrew, Andy, Hoodie, you returned from your vacation and the Froome story basically just exploded around you. Where were you? What was your initial reaction when you heard about this whole salbutamol case? Yeah, it was funny. I was actually in Bali and there was a volcano erupting. It kind of threw a wrench on my vacation. We still had a good time, went to Java, and then uh, took the flight back into Spain and went straight to Denia for a BMC training camp media day. Took the train back up to where I'm based here in northern Spain. Woke up the next morning, Wednesday, really just uh, jet lag, hungover, see the news, froom, you know, two times over the limit for Salbutamol. And I was like, man, payback's a bitch. <laughs> so, Andy, you've had some great um, stories up on VelNews.com over the last few days. You spoke with Dr. Tom Bassendale, a doping expert. You also uh, had an exchange with Dr. E, Dr. Gregory Ioannidis, who is a lawyer who has uh, worked on some cases like this. Let's start with the chat you had with Tom Bassendale, because I thought that that did a great job of explaining exactly what went on with this adverse analytical and kind of what we know about salbutamol, et cetera. So I guess a good place to start with that is, what was uh, Tom Bassendale's reaction to just the um, the fact that Froome has twice the legal limit of salbutamol in his system, that's 2,000 nano nanoparticles, that basically he's twice the legal limit. What was his reaction to that? Yeah, he seemed to be having a harder time getting his head around how that might have happened. The, uh, you know, salbutamol is one of these products that 
it's allowed to be taken. It's a threshold, one of these threshold drugs. It's not banned, so riders take it. A lot of riders take it. It used to be under a TUE, and they, I changed that. I think it was 2010, just because it was such a prevalent drug. And you know, he was he did a good job explaining that it's not really a performance enhancer. You know, what he was saying is that it's a bronchial um, relaxer. It opens up the chest, so if you are an asthmatic or you're one of these athletes that gets um, athletic, you know, performance-induced asthma, which I think is quite common in the Peloton. You know, you're out there six hours a day breathing through your nose, breathing up all this gunk. I, I think it's quite common that a lot of these guys kind of might have the need to take a, a few puffs on these things. But he was just trying to get his head around, you know, how assuming, you know, we don't know what, it, what firm's readings were the days previous and after, but assuming that they were obviously below the 1,000 threshold, how he would just spike that one time. So, you know, he had a few interesting ideas. You know, the dehydration argument is, I think, the where it seems to be Sky is probably going to take its uh, argument there. Um, I think I even saw some reports even today that that uh, there were some details coming out that, that Froome said he was taking puffs, you know, right at the finish line after that stage, right before he went in anti-doping control. So that might have spiked his levels, you know, perhaps even higher doesn't give – the body a chance to really uh, absorb that or dilute it with uh, with drinking and, and dehydration. So it was interesting. And, you know, it's always good to get kind of an expert point of view on these things because, especially in this day and age with Twitter, man, there's so many crazy ideas out there, and everyone seems to have an opinion on it. Hoodie, one thing that I gleaned from that story that I found kind of interesting is that salbutamol can be taken in a few ways aside from just the inhaler. And from what I was reading in your story, it sounds like that could potentially lead to an elevated level of salbutamol beyond what you'd get from just ordinary puffs on an inhaler. That's correct. Um, there are three other ways intravenously through kind of a vaporizer or through a pill form. Um, for what I can understand from uh, Mr. Basingdale, you said that um, if you would take those other methods, those are all banned, by the way, or that you would need a TUE. Um, so if you took those, your levels would be much higher than, say, even double. Um, so, and also, there was also the argument that if it's taken over a longer period of time, that it acts almost like a clenbuterol, clenbuterol uh, agent where it works as a muscle building and a, and a weight reducing kind of drug, which you heard about, of course, with Coltador. Um, but those other methods are uh, much more intense, stronger, banned, and would uh, arguably produce a much higher reading of the uh, micrograms. Hoodie, I have a question for you. So this positive test came about stage 18 of the Vuelta España. You were at the Vuelta this year, and we had some back and forths sort of at the midpoint of the race where you said that you thought that Froome may be suffering from a cold. He was sniffling and coughing in the press conferences. You know, expand on that. What do you remember about Froome's condition? Um, you know, the Machuco's climb and sort of those last big heavy-duty stages of the, of the Vuelta. What, what was he, what kind of condition was he in? He was visibly sick. I mean, he had, we had a, uh, one of these little press chats during the Vuelta on both rest days, and the rest day, the second rest day came right before the Le Gronio time trial, and when Froome was sitting there talking to us, I was uh, right in front of him, less than a you know, meter, meter and a half away, and he was visibly, his nose was congested, he was kind of hiding a cough, uh, he looked, his eyes looked puffy, I mean, to me, he looks sick. Were you afraid and you were going to catch a cold from him? You're that close, man. I didn't want you getting <laughs> sick in the middle of an important race, hoodie. Yeah, that, that's right. I'm sure he was probably spreading disease everywhere. Um, and 
we asked him, I know uh, Daniel Benson on ITV was asking, I think there was a video that went viral the other day um, of, of uh, Benson, of not Benson, but Freebie asking Froome at the uh, summit of the stage where he did test positive for the high levels, asking him, are you sick? How are you feeling? And of course, Froome even said in an interview yesterday, if he is sick, he's not going to admit it, of course. That's, that's kind of standard practice for any cyclist. You're not going to admit that uh, you're sick and then just kind of like, you know, wave the white flag and let your uh, opponents attack you. But he was ill. And another one of my colleagues, Anara Hernandez from uh, Spanish Journalist, wrote a piece yesterday saying how one of Froome's teammates uh, said he couldn't sleep that night before the time trial, which was on the Tuesday, because Froome was just hacking and coughing so much. So he was sick. And, you know, the story is he was taking the Salbudo Mall right up to the limit. You know, it's going to be a big mess no matter what happens. I mean, this is uh, it's one of those cases, just kind of like Contador's thing. It's like it's down to this granular level. You know, the lawyers will make the arguments, the experts will make the arguments, and then it'll come up to be some decision. They'll probably leave nobody happy because if Froome gets off, everyone will say, oh, you got preferential treatment. And, you know, if he gets banned, disqualified, loses the wealth, you know, it's a big mess for cycling. But that's this is the world we live in. So when it comes to that kind of conversation about preferential treatment, you know, there's some question about whether or not Sky should have provisionally suspended him or whether or not the UCI should have announced the A sample or done something about it prior to just this week when we finally found out the story. What's uh, what's the explanation there for the average fan? According to the rules, they, they have followed the rules. Um, what, a, a, a guy on Twitter, Lucas Knopfler, did a pretty good parsing of, of the rules. If you can dig into his Twitter feed, he, he did like a 34 uh, long uh, tweet string uh, where he, he, he kind of dissected all the rules. And it really is like probably the best of anybody has seen so far. And basically the rules say... Uh, in this kind of uh, situation where it's a threshold drug as opposed to just being caught out with, you know, something like an EPO or a cocaine or a straight out banned product when you would get an immediate provisional ban. The rules state quite clearly that this is the way the process works, that Froome will have a chance to demonstrate his his uh, situation, both kind of legally making the argument plus in a lab situation. That's what we saw Ulisi do uh, a few years ago. And he was unable to recreate the same lab results that he got from his test. And he eventually got banned. So we'll see if Froome and his team can do that. Well, I guess that moves on to your chat with uh, Dr. Gregory Ioannidis. Apologies if I'm butchering his name. It appears to be Greek. And uh, my mouth cannot properly pronunciate such words. It's all Greek to me. What did uh, Dr. Greg have to say about both the legal defense that Sky will probably go with and the chances for uh, a speedy resolution? Yeah, in terms of uh, with... uh the lawyer, he was a little bit, he was a little bit more uh, guarded. You know, he, he's a lawyer, so he's not going to say anything uh, too outrageous. But in, in terms of outlining the case, and he was saying the important thing to remember right now is that this is still in the investigative part of the case. We have not reached what's disciplinary stage when it might go through uh, WADA or go through the British Cycling Federation or perhaps even the Spanish Cycling Federation where you get to the language where we're imposing a ban or a disqualification. Right now, this is still part of this process where they're, they're legally the process of trying to 
figure out exactly what happened. And that's all part of the water code. And so right now, that's where we are right now. So we're not even talking about bans or disciplinary action right now. That's a pretty important takeaway. Yeah, my assumption is this is going to take a long time to suss out just seeing how long it took for Ulysses and Pataki, the fact that it's subbutamol, the fact that it's a threshold case versus a straight up positive test. And then of course, the fact that it's the most, you know, the highest profile rider in the Peloton. Um, I don't expect to be seeing a resolution anytime soon, which could be a huge bummer. I mean, I think we all remember 2011 with Contador when he had the clenbuterol test, but you know, having any type of definitive action around that took forever, and he was allowed to race. He won the Giro. He was able to race the Tour, and then all of a sudden, when the clenbuterol ruling came down, we had to erase his Giro win, which was by, I think, like six or seven minutes from the rule book. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, conceivably... Chris Froome could be starting the Giro next May with this case still undecided and still like up in the air. Yeah, it's interesting that the Giro boss, uh, Venny, has already said that he does not want to see a repeat of that situation. I bet not. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if uh, Sky would race Froome going into the next season if this still was unresolved. Because obviously that they Sky wanted to have this all resolved without ever having it break obviously someone leaked this to the media you know thank god we still have uh, independent media out there to get some of the uh the scoop on some of these real stories because legally and procedurally this all could have stayed you know under wraps and no one would have ever known so the question is you know how many other cases like this have happened in the past where we've never even found out about some of these uh kind of behind the scenes cases that never even made it to the disciplinary uh, level. But the question is, yeah, what's, what's Froome going to do? What's Sky going to do? Obviously up until uh, 48, 48 hours ago, they were full steam ahead with Froome taking on the Giro tour double. Yeah. And the crazy thing that I think of is this whole recent uh, case with Diego Ulissi, who rode for Lampre Merida at the time when he got a over the limit salbutamol and uh, Gregor Brown has a good story on our Velo News website right now about, Brent Copeland, the manager now of Lampre Marita, who was the manager at the time of Ulysses' team, he's asking questions about why Sky doesn't have some sort of internal ethics process where they, you know, bench Froome provisionally for the time being, because essentially that is what Lampre did with Ulysses um, at, at a certain point in that long, drawn-out case. Well, the wrinkle there was that Lampre Marita at the time was part of MPCC, which under those guidelines, you know, which is that kind of uh, uh, group, advocacy group of riders, of teams that are trying to hold themselves to a higher standard, ethical standard than what the water code requires. And part of that agreement is that if you have a rider under any sort of investigation, um, they're taken out of uh, competition. And that's how we saw Chris Horner in 2014. He did not start the Welt España racing on Lamprey Merida for that exact reason. For a different kind of situation, but because of the NPCC rules. And then, of course, when Ulissi, they took him out during the investigation, but they actually ended up quitting NPCC so that Ulissi could actually race the Jira later that year. <laughs> and, so, and Team so, Sky's so, Team Sky is not part of the NPCC, also. I, I, I yeah, so yeah. Team, team Sky is 
Team Sky is not part of that group, so there's no rule that says that uh, Froom has to be taken out of competition. Well, let's also uh, remember there's a big old difference between Diego Ulissi and Chris Froom, and from a public relations standpoint, you've got to figure that if Sky were to bench Froom, that would send a very, very public message to the cycling scene. To me, it seems like the strategy that they've been employing is sort of a, hey, this isn't a big deal. This kind of stuff happens. It's medication. You know, it was a mistake. We're going to clear it up. It's not a big deal. No need to suspend him. Um, we're we're going to figure it out type of message. Whereas, uh, you know, my guess is that if it were a rider lower down the ladder, um, they would be benched. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, you, you know, this is a pattern that Sky's had uh, just kind of their, their, their the way of doing things. You know, they kind of they go right up to the letter of the law. It seems like, you know, they, 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 there's the oh, right up to that kind of gray zone. You know, they say they follow the rules. They say that they go right up to the limit. They, they argue they don't cross the line. But of course, we've seen the way that they operate with uh, what happened with Wiggins. Now we're seeing it with Froome, you know, really going up to the edge of these limits. You know, is that only Sky or is that the way the whole Peloton works? And Sky's the only the only team that's been caught out on that. And they're the ones that win the Tour de France all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's good thing that this story is pretty much wrapped up. It's pretty much <laughs> uh, in a box. We're not going to be talking about it too much over the next few weeks and months. Uh, good work reporting on this hoodie, but I think we can all just move on, right? Just Noth- kidding. Nothing more to see <laughs> just here. Just kidding. It's not going to go away for quite some time. I know this. We'll probably have to have a special segment of every podcast to do. Like, Froom watch. Froom. Froom butamol. Froom butamol. Watch. Froom butamol. I'll pronounce it Froom. Yeah. Oh man. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for your insight. We'll let you get back to your evening there in Spain. I hope you are recovered from your vacation and the team camps. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Ciao. All right, Spencer. Well, it's unfortunate timing. It caught us off the off guard. You were at USA Cycling all day when the Froome uh, news broke, and I was in management meetings, and we were just like texting each other feverishly. I know, being, like, oh god, what? How do we? What are we doing here? Yeah, I really. My heart goes out to USA Cycling because they had this big announcement lined up. They've got a a new national team program. They're investing a million dollars a year into their Olympic ambitions, and the story pretty much got buried by this Chris Froome thing. So go check it out on velonews.com if you're looking for a little good news, something other than the Froome Gate stuff. Oh, other stories that got buried from the Froome News. Uh, we had a nice catch up with Ian Boswell That's about right. moving to Vermont. Moved to Vermont. He's going to ride Zwift and chop wood to get fit for the world tour. Mm-hmm. Or, well, he's, you know, for his new team on the world tour, Katusha Alpeason. Another buried story. Courtney McFadden, American cyclocrosser, talked to us about what it's like to undergo not one, but, well, now two hip surgeries and still race at the elite level. Yeah. She can tolerate some pain. That is pretty insane. Yeah, go check that one out too. Yeah, just sift back through old issues of Ellen News to find all the stories that got buried by this Chris Froome news. Well, as we head into the holiday season, we are obviously going to continue to watch the Froome news. Kind of a bummer way to head into the holidays. Yeah, a little bit of coal in our stocking for us cycling fans. The man who is touted for having won the Tour and then the Vuelta in the same season, the first time that's happened since the Vuelta moved to September, we're all looking at him with a bit of a question mark in our heads. Yeah, I'm bummed out. It's okay if you feel bummed out. You're not alone. That is the nature of cycling, the sport that we love. That bums us out. (laughs) Occasionally 
bums us out and breaks our hearts. Well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on VeloNews.com. Subscribe to the VeloNews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of VeloNews on Facebook at facebook.com slash Magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash VeloNews. The VeloNews podcast is produced by VeloNews, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the VeloNews podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing the Bernard Purdy Classic Soul Drums. Thank you.